man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasm. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? <laughs> Baseball. <laughs> Alrighty guys, welcome to another episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast. Today I'm going to have my brother Mike on with me and we're going to talk uh, plenty about the league that we play in. Um, we'll talk about some softball flashbacks, we'll talk about an original fantasy league we ever played in, we talk participation trophies, um, we talk about understanding the rules in your scoring system, bad auction experiences, we target inflation rates and how that works in your league. We talk about studying owner tendencies and how to get an edge in that way. We talk about a whole bunch of stuff. I hope you enjoy this episode. We're here today with my brother, Mike. He's going to be joining us for this podcast. So, Mike, welcome to the podcast world. Why don't you tell everybody about yourself? Hardcore baseball fan. Living, breathing it for 40-plus years. Remember the first time stepping on a field? My dad was nice enough to make me play in a game when I was six because my brother's team didn't have enough people to play. So, wow. that, yeah, I mean, it, it was funny. Uh, I'll never forget, stuck in center field, fly ball came to me, camped under it, made the play. It was great. I was living in my glory, and then there's my brother yelling at me from shortstop, throw the ball because somebody was <laughs> sacrificed flying from third base. I didn't know what was going on. I caught the ball. That was enough for me. But sure enough, there, there was my brother telling me I did it wrong. So. Center field, first game, huh? <laughs> six? Center field, first game, you know, kind of put me out there. It's, yeah, it was uh, six days from turning seven, May 22nd. Yeah, wow. first game, 1978. Still got that ball. Still got that ball. Pop you still got the so. ball? Absolutely do. Nice. Absolutely what'd you do in your first at bat? I don't recall that. Honestly, yeah. the biggest thing I remember about that game was just fly ball in center field. I'm like, that ball's coming to me. And I camped on that, jogged for it, camped under it, and caught that ball. And I was just like living in my glory, looking at that ball like, yeah, I got it. <laughs> wow. Um, that's, that's the one memory of the first time on the field, and that's it. And my love for the game. You know, everything – such hardcore memories uh, are on that field, you know, times with my dad as a coach, uh, brothers as coaches, coaching you, playing with you, playing with brothers, coaching my son, um, coaching Nicholas, right? So even my nephew, I mean, it's just, that's it, man. So many crazy memories on that diamond. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, um, the, the crazy uh, circle of life through baseball, right? That's it. That's it. Pick up a glove, go have a catch. It's a beautiful thing. It's the the best thing you could do with someone without talking. That's it. You know, absolutely you, right. You don't need to talk. You could just uh, stand on opposite side and uh, chuck a ball at each other. Absolutely. I, was I was I an easy person to coach? You you were an okay person to coach. You weren't that bad. You just played the game harder than most kids your age, I think, probably because we didn't teach you in a gentle way. Like, you know, I mean, what, 9, 11, and 13 years older than you? So as you were learning, we were in our teens, man. We were just, let's go, Rob, let's go. So, yeah, you, you were definitely T-ball with you 
and you're yelling at the field as to how kids cannot be doing what they're doing or they shouldn't be doing what they're doing because that's not the rule and us trying to calm you down and just a five-year-old just throwing a fit because the game always ended in a tie was one of my favorite memories of you. There's no way that was a tie. They never scored. <laughs> yeah, right? You know, it, it's like now. Everything's a participation award. No, it's not. There's wins and losses. And teach the kids the right way. Teach the kids that when you lose a game, dust yourself off, come back on the field the next game. Because when you win, it tastes better. Everyone tying and everyone being a, uh, you know, equal share on a field. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I think sports are made for having you understand what winning feels like in, you know, even in a comeback, in a you weren't expected to win. There's it's those memories are there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I think it's, it's so important to to establish that um, competitiveness in your life, because uh, you know, sometimes you will be better than other people at things, and sometimes you'll be a lot worse than people at some things. And I think it's a good way to understand, like, how to be humble toward people that you're better than and how to yeah. motivate yourself to be as good as people, you know, who are better than you and things. And, uh, you know, that's what sports does. Yeah, you can't, you can't have ties. There's no ties. There's no, no ties. I mean, th th there's... It's okay to be competitive. It's okay to want to win. It's also okay to learn the right way to play and the sportsmanship about it and shaking hands with a team after a game or joking around with someone on a field that you're playing against um, or getting to know some of the kids. It's a, There's something special about that. It really is. Yeah, I know. I And it's funny because one of the things I always hear um, – from like older baseball players, older basketball players is how like guys are too friendly these days. And that's not competitiveness, but you know, obviously the world changed and people are a lot closer to each other. We can text each other. It's like, it's diff it's different world. And of course you could be friends with people and still want to beat them, you know? Yeah. But, so when's the last time you played a, a competitive softball game? Probably four years ago, local benefit game. Played the hot corner. Yeah, played, yeah. played, played right up on the base like I always did. Yeah, made made ten, ten assists. Played played a real nice game. Wow! Um, so it brought back that memory of playing the hot corner in high arc softball when balls would get smashed down our way. Um, yeah, it was fun. I, I miss it. I do I, miss it. Yeah, I know. I miss it too. I miss watching you guys. I think that was like the best time in my life watching you. <laughs> Watching you and Frank play softball, and uh, Frank is our other brother. He'll come on soon in the in the podcast. But yeah, we, I used to be the scorekeeper, and everyone yes. got they would win mercy rules like thirty to two after four <laughs> innings. It was crazy. You had so Sometimes. many. Yeah, yeah. But, so but it wasn't it wasn't because the other team wasn't was bad. I mean, we had a really good pitcher that can cover a lot of ground on that infield on the high arc, and we just had a great defense. I mean, it was unbelievable. It, it was it was something that you didn't expect on a softball team was we were top to bottom. We had just gloves in every spot that would just vacuum stuff up. It was great. It really was. It was it, I mean, it was wild to watch that and then just try to try to go up like on the next week up into like field one and field two and try <laughs> to mimic it, you know? It was uh it, it was good to watch. I learned a lot.
you know? Yeah. But right now I think my, my shoulder is hung together with like, you know, a <laughs> silly string and, and, uh, yarn. So unfortunately yeah. <laughs> curtailed the career. Yeah. I feel you. I think my whole body being held up. By silly <laughs> string. I would love to play. It just, but it like pained me to even watch people run. So <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh, right. So when was your first fantasy baseball league? I don't know if it even counts. What do we play in the, I, I remember for some reason, I remember like Frank Thomas and Raphael Palmiero and some yeah. of these other guys where, Me too. where it was, we did it at the end of the year. We drafted a team at the end of the year. And then yeah. after the draft, we were allowed to make trades and then we had to set a lineup and then your positions were compared. So we somehow played position by position to earn points. Yeah, uh, I remember that. We it we, was it was terrible concept, but it was fun. I mean, yeah, it was great. I I think what brought that on was that we had a way to do football, and we were playing football, right? Even if there was only four of us playing football, right? The four brothers starting way too many quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, you know. But yeah. looking at that daily news on a Monday, getting the stats. And, and there was a way to determine if you won, if you lost, and who had the most points. So I remember the graph paper, the graph it. paper layout, and I remember That's 50, it. 60, 70. There was no, you know, there was, it was all even numbers, and it was all like in increments by like, you know, five and ten. ten. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, ten, every yeah. 10 yards was one point. There was no uh, point one point for one yard. But, but I remember but, sitting there and like figuring out all the stats and watching you guys like manually input all this stats like and in and total scores on this graph paper. It was awesome. But we were always more a baseball family. I mean, like being able to rattle off baseball stats, playing baseball, and it was always that. So I think it was just a struggle to try to figure out how in the world could we even do anything remotely like football in a fantasy type concoction. And it was that it was a concoction. But the first time I remember playing, it was CBS sports line, not even CBS sports. Mm -hmm. And I think it was 98 where it was the first time I played in a baseball league that was actually stats driven and live updates and everything from that perspective. Wow. Yeah. And played Roto. Yeah. That's, I think, is that your favorite format? You know, there's there's something that's fun about Roto because um, it is really a long, grueling season. What we didn't have then that some leagues I've played in now I like is the mid-season um, stopping point yeah. that you, you play a second half Roto and you kind of give some money to the best second point, second half player that kind of said, you know, what was your plus you know, uh, minus differential from your midway point. And it was a good way to in keep people engaged because the reality was, right, if you got down early, people stopped playing and it kind of, it hurt your chances to pass other people when you needed to pass other people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what that new concept did was at least say, if you don't give up, there's a chance you can earn back at least your league fee in the second half. And that's, that's something good to play for. Um, I, there, there's something there's something true about um, Roto that I really like. My least favorite is probably points. Even though I think I was the most successful in points league, 
Yeah, I think I remember you won that that one league, right? I, I won a couple of points leagues. Yeah, I won one point league like back to back season. Back back a long time ago, I remember. Back back in uh, it was before we started our league, right? That's now seventeen years running. So that's probably what oh five and oh six, and yep. I won those two. Um, but it was such a heavy points league that I remember I was picking. Uh, if if you looked at the top fifty rankings probably 40 of them were starting pitchers and you just knew that that was just a terrible system. I but, remember that. I remember you showing me how imbalanced it was like Randy Bush was like mirroring like <laughs> Albert Pujols. It, like, it was terrible. So, but everyone was drafting their hitters and I think five of my first six picks were pitchers and everyone's like, what are you doing? Um, but I ran away with that league because you got to understand your, got to understand your setup, right? Got to understand the rules. That's it. Simple thing. It's the most simplest thing before player evaluation, before anything else. Is like you have to understand the scoring system and how how to draft guys off of it. Simple every league, yeah, every league is different, right? So head to head, you know, what's good about head to head is may, maybe you're focusing on trying to win six out of ten categories and it gets you a win. Yeah. You know? But I've also played on head to head where each category is a win loss for the week. So. Definitely a lot of different styles. I think Roto is your purest one, and yeah. I've come I've come to re I've come to enjoy that again. The last couple of years, we've been playing that, you know, so enjoying that more. Yeah, Definitely. I I I remember when I got into that one Roto league about six years ago, and I I I shit the bed the first <laughs> half of the year, and I remember it could do it just from playing, you know had to head more than Roto and I, you know, I overtook a team too that wasn't the best, but then I remember winning the second half. Um, and I was, I was so pumped up. It like, it was almost like winning, you know? Yes. I, I remember exactly. I actually, I remember I, I was actually like a half a point ahead of the guy with the last two weeks for the best increase. It was like, we were both at like plus seven and a half and I, I streamed, I did every like I did so much math and I remember Baseball HQ had like articles about like how to like what 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 um categories are actually attainable and that you can actually move the needle on at a certain point in the season. I traded right for the trade headline, I traded for a speed guy, like trades I would have normally like not really made because of it was getting players that I wouldn't normally roster and just move the needle on stolen bases and runs. And I just, I think I did saves and I was like, wow, it was, it was the best feeling. It was better than actually winning a championship, but just come like doing it a plus 10. And then the one, I think the next year I won both. I actually won the championship and I won the second. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so my, my favorite end of store end of season story was the '99 season. I think it was. You, you can look it up later. Is that the save um, or the blown save? No, no. Um, so that one was. I was. Lo I lost by a point after 162 games, but the Mets and the Reds had to play 163rd game to determine who was going to go into the playoffs, oh. and that and that's considered a regular season game. I had nobody playing in that game. But Edgardo Alfonso had a three-run homer in the first inning, and that home run and the RBIs passed somebody else passed the guy that was winning the league, and he dropped a point and a half, <laughs> and I won the, oh, I won the league. 
<laughs> and and he complained that there's no way it should have been part of the season, but the commissioner rightfully so said it's part of the regular season. It's part of the part of the regular roto season. Yeah, I that one. Yeah, I mean, if someone would have broke the home run record in that game, it would have counted, right? Yeah, it just so, would have gotten two asterisks. No. <laughs> so then Roto works. Yeah. So then I mean, fantasy <laughs> extends through. Yeah, it would have. So I don't know. I mean, I, I've I've enjoyed any type of season to be honest with you. I think it's also like who you're playing with, you yeah. know. And some of that is all about like talking crap to friends. Um, some of it is trusting that you're getting into a new league and you don't know the people but you just want to try a different concept or try a different process or, or you trust one or two people that are in that league um, and you give it a go, right? Sometimes yeah. it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you, and, you and I joined the league, right? And I think back-to-back years came in last and then we split up because there was an opening there. We split up and then over the next five years, I've, I've won three in a row and then you won last year. So it's like, you know. Yeah, that's right. You, you got tired of me clamoring to draft Harper, and you're like, I got to get rid of this guy. <laughs> although I will say, although I will, that that was probably the worst, second worst auction that I ever had, <laughs> was because I didn't know what you, I didn't know what you were doing there. But the very first auction we ever had for me that I ever had in baseball was our 17 year league, and, and and as we kicked that one off. Halfway through the draft, I was so annoyed with my draft. I overpaid for Zambrano and Oswalt because all the pitchers were going. Wow. And then I was running out of money, and then I paid for a 20-something dollar outfielder that I shouldn't have paid for. And I looked at you, and your comment, and I'll never forget it, was like, I can honestly say I don't know what your plan is right now. I said, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing right now. <laughs> and I barely stayed at 500 in that season. But I made a decision halfway through to, because that was actually our first keeper league as well. I made a decision to just part ways with those high price guys that I had. And I made a couple of key trades that got me a couple of key players that played a part in the our third year of uh, me winning it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's what the best thing about it is the ability to do that and the ability to just say, all right, you know, if you, especially if you notice where your team is, some people will just think like, no, I can still win. I can still win when it's not realistic. You could be right. realistic about your, about your team and where it's headed and make those trades. Those uh, that set you up for the next two three years. Wow. I mean, it's so crazy too, how when you play a league for so long and you just on this, you remember all these little things and what everyone does. And I mean, I remember like, for some reason, the, the, uh, the bid that stood out most is Cocoa Crisp. I think it was like, I had way too many beers and I, <laughs> I picked Cocoa Crisp and everyone, you just looked at me like, did you just pay $16 for Cocoa Crisp? <laughs> I was like, yeah, hey, he's going to do 30, 30. But he didn't. God. All right, so let's talk about this. Um, our seventeen-year league, the freehole. The freehole league. Right, um, well, what what has it been now? Oh seven. What's the math? What's that? Thirteen, fourteen years. Something? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Oh seven. So yeah. Yep. Fourteen years. Um, you had an undefeated year, which was two thousand and nine. Which was the most unbelievable thing ever. <laughs> I think if you, I think if we looked at the guys that came out of your lineup probably never happened i think you had 13 batters who had 600 plate appearances it was unbelievable so so 
it's funny you said that, right? Because I actually did look that look something up today because I was curious. And uh, the very last pick that I had was my second catcher, and I knew that he qualified as catcher, but he was going to be the starting third baseman for the Tigers, right? Um, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now on his name. I think it was Brandon Inge. I don't remember. Yeah, I was going to say it's that. That, that sounds. It was it sounds... the only. It was the only year he played 160 games. Played 161 games. Had 27 homers, 80 something RBIs, 80 runs. He tanked average, but for a one dollar last guy second catcher, he absolutely nailed it for me. Um, wow. And and that that's what that year was about. But what was cool was. Um, almost lost. The, the toughest game was, um, it's funny too. I looked up the date and I was like, wow, I remember this. Um, so it was actually Caitlin's second birthday, my daughter's second birthday, August 9th, 2009, Sunday night baseball. Yankees were playing the Red Sox and I was going against John Lester and I was up six strikeouts and I was up slightly on ERA and John Lester was pitching a beast of a game. And in that top of the seventh inning, he got his seventh strikeout and I lost the point and he had already swung the points on ERA. So I was looking at a loss. I had nobody. He had nobody else. John Lester. What happened? Two outs. Alex Rodriguez came to bat and I said, come on, A-Rod, man, just hit me one. Cracked it. Home run, right? So, and he lost that. He lost that minor edge on ERA on me, and flipped it back to five and a half, four and a half lead for me. And Lester came out of the game after seven, and that was it. It was locked in. Wow. Um, and, and I remember back in the day, the chat rooms in CBS. I was in there with, with Kevin Parks, and uh, you know, that that was the closest that came and then after that i think every game after that was an absolute blowout uh, it was almost as if like i kind of knew what was going on that's funny you said like Kevin parks because like he he wasn't even in the final that i'm looking at it right now like that's when we like actually had time to like go into chat rooms of the final <laughs> exactly. you know like right now i'm not involved not a shot yeah not a shot i remember those cbs chats they were crazy <laughs> So, you know, it's you good times. I'm looking at it now, 24-0. That is unbelievable. <laughs> that is so crazy. The history, um, the history of our league, I think, uh, yeah. So you have 10 more wins than me. We're one and two at 164 wins and 154 wins. Pretty good. Yeah. There's only uh, one, two, three, four. Yeah, six guys. Six guys with a 500 record. And uh, it's kind of the guys that, you know, think me, you, Frankie, Small Balls, Kinesi. And then all the bottom guys are the guys that, you know, that cycled in and out of the league. Well, Kevin Galls owns like four different teams because, like, he's come in and out of the league. He says, you know what, I'm going to come in, I'm going to win it again, then I'm going to quit. Then I'm going to come in, I'm going to have the worst team, and I'm going to quit. Then I'm going to come in again, I'm going to have the best team and quit. <laughs> so. You know, it's, it's like he he had the he had like the dynasty strategy in a in a keeper league since we started. You know, in this he just always drafted those one dollar guys right right from the start, and he would roster them all year long, never get rid of them, keep them the next year, even though they had eighty at bats, and they would just all of a sudden blow up all so of the them fun, at once. 
the funny story there, right, is that in 2007, our first draft, Nick Skirbo, Nicky had to leave. So Gall finished out his draft and drafted him a $1 Ryan Braun. And Gall was talking up Braun so much that I'm like, who the hell is this kid? I got to go look him up. And first week, Nick Skirbo dropped him because Braun was sent to the minors. And Braun was absolutely killing the ball. And I picked up Braun and then I owned him for the next seven years, wow. <laughs> basically under our rules, you know, right? So I had a $1 Braun that I gave a three-year contract and a three-year contract and that was it. Wow. Isn't that, isn't that wild how that happens? Great. It's great. A seven-year Braun. I, I like Braun this year too. I think he's going to DH and, you know. I got nice. him in, yeah. in free in, in our free all. I got him four dollar yeah. guy at the end. I, I know. I like that. I like that. I was, I, still, I was happy with the draft, so I tend to leave the draft pretty happy. But then, you know, then the season starts, and I think the biggest volatile swings for me has been either the offense doesn't show up or my pitching gets hurt. <laughs> think like yeah. that. Like that. That's the riskiest. Yeah, I mean, you. I mean, you took the chance on Verlander, but I think he went for. Listen, I'm going to be honest. I, I, I had pretty no good price. Des- no desire to go after Verlander, but when all of a sudden it stopped at like fifteen dollars, I'm like, well, this is just stupid. Yeah. So yeah. getting him at twenty, and I did the same thing with Sale. Right now, Sale didn't pan out because Sale, but at least I only got Sale for five bucks. That's right. right. So we we drafted um, on March. 21st, I believe, right after everything pretty much started to shut down. And yeah. uh, most of the guys in our league um, still wanted to go ahead and draft it. Um, they, they took their time out on a Sunday night, and um, some people can't get that slot back or can't make a replan. So we just started to do it. And um, Verlander, I think, had just been th- – he still had the only the the lat problem, or he hadn't had the groin surgery yet, right? It was just the lat problem at that point, and Sale didn't have the Tommy John designation, right? Right. You, yeah. So yeah, I, mean, I think yeah. I think Verlander wasn't announced the groin surgery, but they had he did hurt himself, so it yep. was one of those where no one knew what was going to happen with him. You got know. Verlander for twenty and Sale for five. <laughs> And listen, in our league, right, what did DeGrom go for, 40-something? See, the problem here, right, is that this league has max 10 keepers. Now, I love our keeper concept, but I think in, I love the draft more than a keeper concept. And our draft gets killed every year because we're coming into the draft with like 110 to 120 120 guys protected. And because of that, it, it really is slim pickings, right? So you really have to know. What, what am I doing with the dollars that I think I've saved with the 10 guys that I came in? And am I going after a guy or not going after a guy? And the reality is money runs out pretty quick anyway. Even, every team has gotten smarter. And out of the 12 teams that come in now, you know, in, in the first couple of years, maybe three or four teams would come in with protecting players that were actually going to – seem like you got a deal on draft day on their projected dollars. And now that's completely flipped. Now you, you probably end up with, what, what do we have this year? Your, your sheet right there. So 10 guys came in, 10 out of 12 folks came in with money saved yes. prior to the draft. Yeah, two guys were in the red at minus 11, uh, keep a profit value and minus 22. And I think they stayed in it deep. 
throughout the whole draft. Um, that our league inflation um, was 35% coming into the draft. There was almost, there was $1,498 of frozen salary. And there was uh, $1,963 of value that- uh, that's, of, what they were, that's what they were projected to cost, right? Yeah, on, that, on like a regular draft. Yep. Yeah, yep, so you had yep. $500 that was already off the table. And what, had, what ends up happening now that this is a 10 keeper league, the last probably five years, it's everybody wants that next guy. Yeah. Right. So everybody pays now nine to fourteen dollars for the next guy when you used to be able to get that next guy for three to five bucks. <laughs> you know, yeah. There is there is no next guy for three to five dollars anymore. Now you now you hope that your one, two, three dollar guy at the end is actually gonna be useful for you. Although I liked your one dollar guys this year. Yeah, or, I mean I I I ended up getting uh, But your Wanda, money right? your money was spent your, I, I think you had less money late in the draft, and so you had to wait. So your $1 steals of some guys were because nobody was going to take you to $2. Yeah, and it was actually the <laughs> – yeah, no, you're right. And that's what – I knew I wanted to get late power, and I liked the option that outfield for late power. And, of course, I ended up with two guys in the same team with Gritchick and Teoscar, but I love both of those guys for a buck, you know. But – and, you know, I was happy to grab Evan White. I think he's going to be pretty go uh, pretty good. I think he's going to get all the at-bats in Seattle. And, but um, I, I don't know. I, I think I might have overspent on Rizzo and Hiura. But um, there was like 10 second basemen already kept, and everybody else was pretty weak. And it was such a shallow second base, uh, you know, class anyway. And I think I overspent on maybe him and, and Fran Mill, but Fran Mill is my pick to lead the league in homers this year. So I'm a big Franimal guy. So I'm going to take you back to what you just said, right? Your Rizzo and Hiura. My last two protections on the 10 were guys that I wasn't even going to consider protecting, right? It was Matt Olson and, and Brandon Lowe, right? I just, I didn't have them in my list of guys to keep. But then I started looking at everyone's roster. You start to get a sense of, you know, who people are likely going to keep. And then when I looked at it, it was basically going to be Olsen and Rizzo left. And I'm like, I want power at first. And I wanted it before the draft started it. Right. So did I really want to protect Olsen at 28? No, but I thought Olsen was going to go for more than Rizzo. Right. So now because right. I protected Olsen, Rizzo became the only guy. So like you said, you overpaid for him, you think. But really, truly, he was the only guy. Yeah, I know. I mean, right? There wasn't much left after that. And I, and I kept Brandon low because I'm like, he's got 20, 25 homer potential at second base. And for $6, I'm like, I didn't want to spend what I thought was going to be 20 to 25 on Hiura. And Hiura went even crazier than that because there's everyone, everyone kind of spreads – their roster, nobody goes in there with all pitching anymore. Mickey learned from that. Like he, he doesn't do that anymore. Yeah. And, and people are kind of spreading their roster. So you got to know what is likely going to be available out there. And yeah, so those were my last two guys that they, they probably impacted my value going in. Cause I think I didn't earn um, plus dollars on either one of them. I probably protected them more than what their average was going for, but I really think Olsen would have gone in the thirties just because of his homer potential. I think he would have too. And like one of the things I like to always um, point out is like, if you were going to keep uh, a $6 guy, 
whose actual value is eight. And you got a guy who's 27, a possible, possibly worth 27, and you're keeping him for 25. It's the same $2 difference, but you're actually locking in on that $25 that's not baked into the inflation during the draft. Like, and like you said, you're going to end up paying more and you can keep them for, uh, you know, a, a cheaper price. And I think guys in our league started to pick that up when I think we are prone to, you know, keep guys that are higher than 20 more often than others. And everyone is always just trying to keep that two or three dollar guy because they like to think that there's you know a coming out with more profit and are going to leave themselves in a better position a draft and then they you know then they leave themselves short on talent i think yeah so so i mean and even though like i i ended up at fifth in value i think i was second or third in the most dollars um kept so i kind of was going into the draft with the least amount of money to start so i knew in my head i had a how to be smart, right? Yeah, I was saving some money and I would have loved to have gone after a trout and trout with his inflation probably should have gone for 70, right? Or could have gone for 70. You can make the argument that he could have gone for 70, but yep. in our league, guys have gotten smart over the years to say, is he going to earn 70? Probably not. So why am I going to go for 70? But I just, I didn't have the money for him. So I let him go. And then I jumped on Verlander, I think, pretty early because I think someone tried to sneak him in. Yep. And and then later on, when I realized I still hadn't bought a bat, JD Martinez got called out. And I think I only got him for like thirty, thirty one dollars. What I get yeah, him for? Thirty one. Thirty one. Yep. And I and I think your comment to me on the phone was that whatever software you were using, you said his inflation at that time was seventy. It was. It, I mean, yeah, because it was we had high inflation as is and then at the it point where he came, up. it kept on going up because what happens is no one, you know, if a lot of the guys aren't paying attention to inflation and they're just stopping at, you know, the number they're looking at in a guide and all that keeps happening for the first 20 picks, 30 picks, then it's just, you know, it just keeps going higher and higher, you know? And yeah, I remember looking at that pick and I'm like, damn, I'm like, you know, I mean, that's if, a- if you look, if you look at what was available in our draft going in, you had Rizzo, Bogarts, Trout, JD, Springer, Arenado, Altuve, Hiora, like, and Machado, like, and Chris Bryant. Those, that's it. That's I mean, it. after that, impact bats were kind of like, who's going to be that next big surprise guy? I mean, first basemans out of the top 13, only Rizzo and Goldschmidt was available. And once I started coloring that out, I'm like, I need to protect Olsen. Yeah. Right? And, and then to your point, second base was Altuve Hiura. After that, I'm like, you know what? Brandon Lowe for $6 was looking appealing to me because he was projected at six bucks. Some guys had him at $8. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I just do that. And I'm yeah. happy because I hated my middle infielders that I came out. I think I took Shed Long and Nick Ahmed because yeah. every guy, every guy I was nominating ended up going for five, six, seven dollars because to your point, right? People end up with too much money at the end because we didn't spend the money on the players with the inflation rates. Exactly. Exactly. Every, yeah. A hundred percent. That happened a lot. Every yeah. time. And you end up, and so now the younger kids are going for way more than they should have gone for. And then players at the end, you know, I used to kind of try to save my money for the end and players, I, I think one year, you know, I, I forgot who I bought, 
um, for like $16 in the outfield. That was Odabel Herrera. Odabel. $16 in 2017 because I had the money and that was horrible. Yeah. Horrible. And I said, I wasn't going to do that this year. Right. And I didn't. So, you know, my, my two buys at the end were Schwarber for 12 and Braun for four. And they, they became my fifth and sixth outfielders. And I love that. You know, I was yeah. happy with that. I know. I know. I was like, I always, you know, when there's high inflation, sometimes I'll just like, try to get the, you know, like the two, like what I think bargains early with the inflation baked in. And then sometimes I, I've like almost tapped out at that point. And then everybody else after me gets even better bargains than what I got, you know, yes. to start off, you know, and it just, that's, that's where you get that, that middle of the auction where all those bargains come off, you know, and sometimes probably the best way to draft you know but i like to go get my guys and but you know sometimes you'll sit there and you'll watch like a my brother frank just grab eight fifteen dollar players in a row <laughs> you know you know I, and i think you, your point is valid right it's like there's a you're gonna go into the draft with this knowledge or thought process right you overthought everything and I know I'm guilty of it, right? I overthink who's protected, who's available, and what's my game plan. And I come up with like two or three game plans, and here's what I'm going to approach. And the reality is three picks in when I took Verlander for 20, I, I basically had to throw out everything that I thought I was going to do. So I'm like, right. well, there goes five days of thinking just right down the drain, yeah. and you end up reacting. So, But what's good about overthinking and overplanning leading up to the draft is, you know – you realize that you are knowledgeable enough to pivot. And I think to your point though, you have to be confident enough to just pivot in the moment. If you just wait for your guy, wait for your guy, wait for your guy, the reality is when he finally gets called out, if he's one of the few guys that's left and he goes for $10 more than what you thought, and he's going to do that in this league because people just too many people have too much money. Right. You know, then you waited on guys that maybe you should have jumped in on. So I've I've come to the conclusion in this league specifically that I will call out guys more so that I'm leaning towards and, and feel like, you know, am I going to just go get them for my money and, and just know that I have less dollars than other folks? And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. I'm happy with what I did this year. Yeah. But, you know, so I, I guess, you know, it, it, it took, it's going to take about four months to see if the logic worked out. I know. I know. Right. <laughs> it, it really is. And, but um, I wanted to get back to something that you mentioned about, you know, scanning everyone's rosters and um, anticipating who, you know, other owners might keep and talk to me about when that process starts for you, because I know I'm, I'm doing it all, all year long. You know, I'm trying to look at, you know, other owners and maybe uh, one guy has, you know, what I think to be, you know, maybe 13, 14, like good possible keeper values. And sometimes I'll try to target, you know, that team and maybe doing a three, three for one, or, you know, tell me about like your process and, and that phase. So, so definitely always looking at that. I typically start probably late Jan is when I'm, I'm starting to get into the baseball forecaster. Um, <clears throat> and the spreadsheets and I'm downloading rosters from the teams. And I just immediately start on my Excel spreadsheets of who do I think is keeper worthy. And, you know, to your point, right. I do find that there's a couple of teams that I think are so loaded with potential that I do try to start talking to them earlier. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's, you'll probably get a couple of people who are very into their team that early and you'll see trades kind of fly pretty quickly. And then the teams that you want to talk to sometimes are the guys that just, they're not reading anything yet, you know, that's, and you've got to be patient enough to wait if that's who you really want to talk to. But um, I've gotten pretty good at knowing some of the owners and some of their tendencies. I, I do have all the drafts on the spreadsheets year over year. So I kind of look back and say, who are they probably going to be keeping? Um, who might be the, who might they be targeting in the draft? Um, you know, is there value in throwing a guy back or not? Um, things of yeah. that nature. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly scanning, constantly looking at, you know, does a mid-year. So, so that's the year after I won it in 17, 18, I really loved my draft, but I got a couple of key injuries early and then the team just didn't perform. Um, and so I looked at the, who I thought were my high priced picks to see if I can set myself up with any future guys. And um, I got a three for one to your point, right? And I thought it was in my advantage, right? I got Benintendi and a couple of, a really cheap Benintendi and a couple of other guys, but I gave up a $31 Yellick. Um, And then a week and a half later, he decided to just start hitting the ball and he hasn't stopped. Yeah, that's when he went nuts. (laughs) He went nuts. And I had to watch that with like my jaw just dropped like, well, that didn't work out. Well, Benintendi was on the upward trend also. And and listen, listen, and and, and he's only 25. Yeah. And I, and I, he, to me, he's still cheap. He's my third out, even though he was the only outfielder that I protected going in. I think I protected him for less than 20 and 17. Yep. You know, and if he's going to get, and with bets being, traded there's an opportunity maybe he's he's back towards the top of the lineup um is he running more i don't know um yeah i think he's gonna be fine i I, you know he he, i think he put on 25 pounds last year he tried to be a different batter yes and and i think after he made some adjustments mid-season you know in the spring training he was back to his lean self and like you said he's 25 and he's just been a model of health too i mean i think six 600 plate appearance for like three straight years, you know, and at that point, you, you just know that you're getting steady at bats and steady counting stats from him. I like him. And, and even though a lot of times we're looking at head to head matchups, I am looking at who are those steady at bats. And to your point, you brought it up, right? My 2009 team, I, I think I did have 600 at bats from almost from almost every player that I had. I mean, yeah. Like, you know, like I said, Brandon Inge had 600 at-bats. He, he was my catcher. You know, I mean, he was one of my two catchers. And he was a $1 guy because he was a starting third baseman for the Tigers. And, and just everything worked out that year. Everything was just ridiculously on point. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. 2017, I didn't have the best team. But going into the playoffs in this league and another league, I same pickups, right? I picked up Wilson Ramos, Jose Reyes, mm. and a couple of other guys. And because they were they were ridiculously on a roll in September and, you know, one through two leagues with those guys having a steady spot and you don't plan on that, but you, you got to be ready to, to just move and pivot. I think this year is going to be pretty crazy too. I think it's going to come to a certain point of the year, you know, it, if we're getting close to playoffs and stuff like that, where we're going to be maybe cutting ties with players a little earlier than maybe we, you know, you're right. We usually do, you know, right. Condensed season, you know, and and I see 
batters as being more constant than pitchers. Um, I was a little surprised. It looks like there's going to be limits on uh, their rosters, right? So there was one time thought that there was going to be more opportunity for these younger kids to kind of get in, snuck in here on teams and get opportunities. But now it seems like it's 28 is the roster size or 30 for a couple of weeks, 20 for a couple of weeks. And more teams have gone on board to say that they're going to stack their pitching. Yeah, because that's what they expect right, right? now. You know, I, I'm expecting some starting pitchers to go only three, four innings, and then maybe they're going to work their bullpen session in two days for in an inning during a game. Because why not? Right? right, and then come back for another three, four innings in a couple of days after that. Like, if you're going to throw 40 pitches in a side session two days later, why not just throw one inning? Because yeah. I, I think that's what you're going to see. You're going to see a lot of middle relief wins because it's just it's going to happen. Throw yeah. out quality starts. I mean, that was already a stat that was going down, right? Throw that out. Yeah, throw it out. Um, and yeah, so it's going to be a big what the hell. I think this is the year of those middle relievers that and, and leagues, we, we've done it, right? I think we're three years in now on saves plus holds. Yes. We wanted to bring the value of those middle relievers. Um, and, and I think this is that, that kind of year where you're going to see th- – this is – Honestly, those middle relievers are those guys who had the potential to be starters who can throw 97, 98, but can't really control the ball all that well. High pitch count. So it's like, you know what? Go in there and give me an inning. All right? Go, yeah. go strike out a couple of guys, and then then, then you can sit down. And you got a lot of guys you know, you're, you're, you know, that are going to follow the Josh Hader approach, right? You got your Housers and some other guys now that are just ridiculous strikeout ratio. Yeah, I feel like the Brewers are filled with like Corbin Burns and and Hauser and, you know, and uh, the guy I got, Freddie Peralta, you know, I mean, I I think there's going to be a lot of guys like that that are going to be coveted coming and giving you two or three of their best innings on multiple occasions. You know, I I don't know. I have this crazy, crazy uh, bold prediction that Josh Hader is going to win the – Cy Young this Cy year. Cy Young? Nice. A, with, Why not? With, a, with like a f- five wins and 10 save type of season. Because, I mean, you know, I've seen some projections, the highest win projection for a pitcher is eight wins, seven, eight wins maybe. And uh, I feel like if he has the opportunity, to, I guess maybe he might step back into that fireman's role. Or Either way, I think he's going to be in there. Council is a very progressive coach. He, you know, I like the coaches like that who are just thinking outside the box and the Rays, right? I mean, this might be the year, I think, in a Roto League to take one whole staff, like maybe the Rays or the, or the <laughs> yeah. Dodgers, you know, like what's, what would be wrong about taking the whole Dodgers staff to- <laughs> this year you know and you're, you're right about the Rays bullpen right right I mean, like there, there was nothing wrong with that you know Alvarado Poche Castillo and Nick Anderson you could probably take the four of them and you could lock down ratios and get a combined you know 35 saves from those guys <laughs> yeah I have a lot of ownership in Anderson this year a Yarbrough yeah. and a couple of ones but, you know, I mean, like, look, it, it's like that you, you get guys, the Will Smiths and the Lugos and, the, you know, the, they're going to come in. They're going to they're going to do what they do, what they've always done. And it's just going to be a little more noticeable to people this year. But the funny part is, right, it's like uh, we just started a dynasty league, right, which was absurd, but fun to draft <laughs> 50 rounds. Right, three months into COVID, let's draft a fifty-round dynasty. When no, hey, what's everyone doing? Let's do a fifty. 
you know, and I was looking, I was looking at my team after, right. And it's like, I really like my bullpen guys. And then you look at their age and you're like, wow, these guys are 28, 29, 32. And then I was looking at other bullpen guys that are now going to be the new guys. And they're also 27, 28. And I think it's these guys that emerge finally as these bullpen guys are the guys that maybe can't put in four or five quality innings and can't make it as a starter. And they say, well, it's a damn shame to throw your talent away. So why don't you just go, you know, throw some innings for me, throw multiple innings for me, whether it's a game you're going to throw away or the game you're going to go with four or five relievers. And these guys are starting to come out, but they blossom at a different age. So it's weird. It's definitely weird. I mean, I've hit, I've hit well on, I'm big on the ratios. And I think I used to get laughed at the most with my spreadsheets that my printed spreadsheets at the draft table. Yeah. That's because, your, because your I spreadsheet's my, a legend. <laughs> because I had my strikeouts nine and wa- strikeouts to walk ratios. The pitch, I, I had two columns, one for starters, one for relievers, and somehow it was a bigger spreadsheet than my hitters. But, <laughs> but I remember, I mean? like, <laughs> I remember looking over, I forgot who said it on draft. I was like, what kind of paper is that on? It's so wide. It's like a widescreen TV. It's legal. I'm like, I'm it's like, legal paper, man. Yeah. <laughs> because there was not enough room to like print it out. But, but um, you know, like every potential advanced, that's what I love about pitchers is that pitchers, I feel there's enough advanced metrics to kind of feel like you can separate those guys that you think might be the guys that are going to break out, right? Like five years ago, I got Kluber for five bucks. Yeah. Um, Last year, uh, two years ago, it was Snell. Um, and, and now, you know, Snell was drafted three years prior at a dollar. He was then kept at six, right? And then he didn't do anything and he got dropped, right? He got but, dropped, yeah. Right. But he had that August, September that said, hmm, maybe he's going to finally break out, right? And, and, and yeah, that's I why. Remember, I, I remember he was throwing like two or three miles an hour faster, too, all of a sudden. Yeah. I mean, that's like one of those things, right? Like you're saying. And, and that's not even that advanced of a metric, but you can say, hey, wow, well, this guy increased his velo. And, and you know, he looked like he, he picked up his prospect status, like the post type, right? The post type guy. Post type pitcher, yeah. I mean, yeah. and honestly, I, I tend to lean towards the tried and true hitters to your point, right? Like you end up with a, like last year, I ended up with the Jay Bruce, Corey Dickerson, Hunter Renfro, one, $2 specials at the end and said, well, at least one of you guys hit, I won't be that bad. You know, now, unfortunately that year, none of them did. So that was a terrible, <laughs> <laughs> but well, I, Renfro I t- had a great first half, you know, uh, and then he just- actually, that's right. You're right. Um, and Jay Bruce didn't, and I dropped him and then he had a decent second half, you know, it's like, but the problem is it's – I think in Roto, you can wait. Here, here's the difference, right? In Roto, you say to yourself, these guys are going to come around, and I need to wait on them because if I give up on them when I've used their bad stats, you're going to miss out on their good stats. Right, right. Right, and the difference is in a head-to-head, you, you can't really take four weeks of that because you don't need those losses, and you tend to – try to go to the hot hand and then you realize that you got the hot hand guy for one week and then he goes into his two week, three week dry spell. And, and I find head to head is more frustrating in finding that next guy who you think is going to be playing against teams that you think will break out, but nobody else has taken a shot on him. And it just, that's limited these days. Right. You're right. Yeah, you know, it really is. But like in a roto concept, you know, you, you say to yourself, okay, the Justin smokes, if he plays, 
should hit me enough home runs. And so I'm going to hold on to him instead of like getting rid of him for someone else, you know, things, things like that. And yeah. Yeah. Especially in head to head too, when um, you, you know, just get those cold spells, like you said, and, and the guys are just, they'll just drag down your whole team, you know, and you just yeah. want to get rid of them, even though you invested four months of pre-draft prep <laughs> on them. And then, Oh, for 12 in the first week and you dump them and right. then, then they go crazy. You know, I mean like in 2018, I ended up spending $18 at the end of the draft on Bauer, Snell and Morton. I freaking hit a home run on that. Yeah. That was right? a home run. But you know, then in 19, right. using the same logic, I got Pavetta, Musgrove and Burns. I really love that coming out of it, but only Musgrove hit. I mean, Burns tanked and Pavetta was a mess. You know, Burn, was, yeah, he was everyone's darling. Last he was year, everyone's right? darling. Everyone's darling. Right. But, you know, Burns again is now coming in like that sneaky guy because he's still young, you yeah. know, and it's it's that I, I like looking for those guys at the end. I didn't get a chance to do that this year with the pitchers only because I spent my money instead on a Verlander and sale. Yeah. Um, but but don't get me wrong. I was very happy. I, in the end, I got Yarbrough for three and Mats for two, which I think is fine as back end starters. Um, yeah. But I couldn't turn down the shot at Verlander for that, that cheap. I remember just being like, I wasn't mad because I definitely didn't want him at all. Like I, I've been more more weary of um, you know older pitchers with any type of injuries, you know, yes. and just even in injuries in general too. You know, I uh, just been so much more t- locked into roster and risk, you know. And, and well, except for Buxton and other <laughs> But with the pitchers, though, especially, I mean, um, coming into the season hurt, you know, just been, but trying to be more conscious of that. But, you know, especially this whole freeze logic, right? You yeah. know, now, again, like a lot of we, I, we're in a couple of leagues where folks just wanted to throw it in, and we convinced one guy to just listen, you know cut the league fee, change it to Roto, and we call it a blip, and it is what it is. And, yeah, there's keeper impacts. We said, hey, think about freezing a couple of guys or, or you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But baseball is baseball, right? I mean, like when baseball is on, let's be honest, you're going to want to watch it. And if you're going to want to watch it, I'm going to want to see how my team is doing. Absolutely. So I don't care if it's – it's going to feel like – probably worse than fantasy football because it's going to be that quick. There's no way you can do head to head. In my opinion, having a seven week head to head because you still need time for the playoffs is meaningless. I, I yeah. really do. And, and anyone who doesn't think this year for one year, they shouldn't be switching to a roto format. You know, I get it. You can still go that route. But the, in my opinion, if you're really truly loving the head to head, then your only option is, you know, on CBS, right? We've done it is you got to play it where you're playing against everybody. So yeah. do the, yep. do the position, do the breakdowns in the stats and just see, well, how would I have done against everyone for the week? You know what? That's, that's a better sense to see who are the teams that played better, but I don't know in this type of a year i just hate to see a playoff format where you've got to end before the season ends and i just think that you know during the there's there's no way to figure out which pitchers are going to get three innings and which ones might get five and which ones are going to help you and what's not i I know i know that's that's why i was hoping we were going to convince everyone to do roto but like you said the standings breakdown it that should like mirror like a a mini rotisserie per week you know you're playing against EBS to the standings break down, you know, play 
you play your stats versus the rest of the week's stats, and you're getting a cumulative um, record for the week versus the other 11 owners. It, it, it's pretty good. I mean, we've been using it as a gauge to uh, – Right to see how teams are doing when one guy's like eight and two, and we're like, wait a minute, though his standings break down is seventh in the league, so you know he's pretty much getting by, getting lucky every week playing the lower, you know, stat team. Yes, and so this is I'm going back to it because it's you know it's yes I'm living in the past, but hey, like. We still talk about Bonds hitting 73 and McGuire hitting 70 and where we were for other things, right? So I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, in that 2009 season, the, the standings breakdown, I was 229 wins, 32 losses, <laughs> and 14 wow. wins, and 14 ties. <laughs> that's over – wow. I mean, that's Frankie insane. was the only one. I was 16-7-2 and two against Frankie. Otherwise, 229 and 32. So in a 24-week season, I, I averaged less than – I averaged 1.5 loss a week playing against all 11 other teams. That's, ba- that's basically really- nine and a half and one and a half every, every week I was. It's insane. That's insane. That's, <laughs> seriously. I'll never do that again. No, I mean, that was, that was really amazing. That was – the next closest po- person that year had 92 losses, Frankie. Wow. So 65 losses less than him in the in that breakdown standings. Wow. That's it's my year. I'm, I'm you know I, I can't help it. Every now and then I have to go back to that because it was just it's a year that I'll never have again. But I had it, so <laughs> so I get Absolutely. to talk about. It. Yeah. No. Definitely. Get. The, I mean, I talk. I tell people about it all the time. I wasn't like the Mariners that won 116 games and failed to win the World Series. I finished it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we'll talk about the um, going into the draft. We had uh, you went into the draft with about $45 of um, value, positive yep. value, and then you, but you crushed the draft and that you extracted about plus twelve, uh, plus twenty from at least plus twelve, plus twenty-four from. Um, what you spent to what yeah. the guys were. And I, that yeah. was from Verlander, <clears throat> mostly from Verlander. And also um, because our league is a save plus hold leagues, got pretty good value from Lugo and uh, Will Smith and Will Hand. Smith and Hand. Hand, yeah. Hand, you know, Hand, I, you know, it's crazy how you spent more for Lugo than Hand. And, you know, they're both just tremendous values in this league, you know, either way. But those right. th- those three guys really, really pumped up uh, your positive um, draft. Oh, and, and I had Yates, right? So I went in there with Yates at only 11. And my goal was, what, what can I do for only $25, $30? So I was very happy with that. And to your point, right, Lugo went when there was still, uh, you know, some money left and hand was my last guy. So he went later. And again, it's, it's that whole timing thing, right? It is. Like I, it is. I thought, I thought I was going to get, I was happy when I got Will Smith for only $4 because I think I called him out pretty early. Yep. Then I guess I called out Lugo where people still needed relievers. Cause I wasn't expecting, I wasn't expecting to go get a fourth reliever. I know you caught me off guard uh, with that one. And I think Lugo so, too is like that, right? When, when you just get those guys who are locked in, like someone waited all draft for, to get Lugo. 
And so, so let's talk right. about to your point, right? But to your point, right? It's you got to know the league, and in yep. this league, for those folks that are listening, for whatever reason, closers are just they go. There's three or four owners that will just spend their money on closers, right? So Correct. you have you're constantly seeing guys go from sixteen to twenty-two dollars, and I'm talking. You know, 10 guys will go off the board at that price. So for me at that point, I knew going into the draft, I was not wanting to spend that kind of money on relievers, but I wanted quality relievers. Where are saves and holds league? So I was looking at ratios. I wanted strikeout guys. So on my personal list, right, I had Will Smith and Lugo in that top 25. Yep, so, so for me, you know, like I'm following those guys. I had Brad Hand at 11. I had Lugo at 9. I had Will Smith at eight. That was my list. Um, you know, and again, right, it's whatever articles I'm reading and whatever list I become partial to, maybe it's wrong, but I went into the draft and that's what I targeted. And so for me, I, I was okay spending that money on Lugo. Now, later on when Hand got called late yes. and I actually did have some money that I thought I was going to spend for my middle infielder. I said, you know what? I'll take a $2 middle infielder. I want to grab hand right now at only five. And, and I got him and I was happy. Yeah. I think that's when, yeah, that's when I was like, wow, he's going to take him too. And I'm like, screaming. <laughs> I was screaming at the live chat, like someone bid more. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, I mean, and plus with Lugo and Smith, they're not, they're, they're, they're going to rack up holds, but they're, they're next in line too for saves. You know, I think even Smith might even out save, a Lanson, you know, I don't know, but yeah, I like Look, those two and, picks right there. And and even if not, right, last year they had more strikeouts than they had innings, right? So they're gonna come in. All five, all four of my relievers have way more strikeouts than they do innings pitch. So in that whole ratio game, yeah, it, it, it's the you sometimes me personally, I don't want that six starter that's going to be atrocious just to get five innings out of him. I'd rather absolutely. Get, I'd rather get relievers that are going to help me in the ERA and the whip and, and, and they'll give me some strikeouts. Right. So I got to rely now on Bauer and Snell and Verlander to carry my K's for against the, someone who's going to throw six starters out there. But I, I like it. I still like my chances because I, I like that. I'll also compete in the saves holds category. I'll compete in the whip category and the ERA. And maybe I won't do great in K's, but I'll compete. I think whip gets like overlooked um, and for head to head, like you said, you really get some guys that keep it low with some good starters. And, um, you know, it, it's like you said, you get a six starter or, or like people like to do the double start guys, you know, and that's the difference between, right. Are you talking about a weekly league or a daily league? Right. So now if you're in daily league and he's got a double start, you're like, okay, I'll use them once take him out against Colorado but to your point right this league is a weekly league so you got to look at that you got to be mindful and like I had Marquez and honestly most times when Marquez was pitching at home he was on my bench that week yeah so you also who was that I guess you also got Braun and JD and I got so I had my money I went to Victor Robles yeah that's what the guy I wanted to point out because <clears throat> this was um a nice a nice pick right there I I he didn't seem like a a you pick. Um, it's not but, a me pick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was not. It was not a me pick. But you know, I mean, look. Let's be honest, right? Uh, I didn't have much from a stolen base category. I just had Turner. But 
Um, I just wanted someone that had the potential to, to, to be that 25, 25 kind of guy for me uh, that can help me out a bit. So did I spend mm -hmm. a little more money on him at 21? Yeah, possibly. Um, but I mean, you, yeah, you, you got I liked for, it. Yeah. You got him for value, you know, or the and, and then the 22. So, I okay. Mean, there you go. Yeah. And then, like I said, you know, I mean, so at that point I had Benny, JD, Robles, and then I finished it off with Schwarber and Braun. And then my famous, you know, like I went for the very old timer. I got Gardner when I said to myself, I'd pick a young kid. And somehow I picked Brett Gardner. And I'm like, why did I do that? Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he just, because that's when you're like, you're filtering at the end of the draft and he's just there, you know. But you, you see... look and you're like, the dude's 49 years old and like, he's still putting up 15 yeah. homers, 15 stolen bases. And you're like, is that so bad to take a dollar? You know, as your sixth outfielder at the end of the draft, I didn't think so. No, it's not. It's not at all, especially in that lineup. If he's going to lead off and for a dollar, you know, you throw him in there when he's going to hit at Yankee Stadium, especially, and tag a couple down the right field line at 296. <laughs> Tell me about your strategy for for stats. You like to um, spread it out. Do you like to target um, specific categories or – do you ever punt? Is punting something you try at all? I, I don't think about punting, but I definitely tend in the last five, six years to not worry about stolen base guys. And, and let's be honest, right? I really think that there's five to 10 guys who are going to get you a good amount of stolen bases that are actually going to help you. Because right. to my, my, I don't think there's value in, in the guys that might get you 40 steals, but you know, they're being used as a pinch runner and, and their on-base percentage or their average is terrible. And they're hitting two homers and 30 RBIs. And you're like, what, what do you have them in there for? Um, I do tend to think least about the stolen base category. Um, I, used to, I used to try to stay away from guys who are in the seven, eight, nine slot, right? Because, you know, guys are in that number one, uh, they're going to get 80 more at-bats a year. They're going to score for a... Uh, 30 more runs a year than those right. guys at lower. But, but at the same time, you never know when, you know, Victor Robles, who's hitting seventh or eighth, maybe he becomes the number two hitter. You don't know that, right? right. Trey like, Turner was sitting seven. You never know when he becomes the leadoff guy. I think last year, the biggest, <laughs> the biggest example of that was Dan B. Swanson. You know, he was, once he moved up to second in the lineup and he got hot before he got hurt, he just, his value was like, you know, and if you took a chance on that in the draft, then, you know, that run that he had was pretty was pretty good. But, yeah, that's big. That, the lineup thing is also is, is very huge. Like contact rate, you know, I think that's one of the things that we always try to look at, you know, in these head-to-head -head leagues to prevent guys from getting into slumps and just knowing that they're going to put up some counting stats by just putting the bat on the ball, you know? You know, and it's funny you brought up Swanson, right? It's like – I said I had a little bit of money and, you know, so later on in the draft, I ended up buying hand for five and stuff like that. Now, there was a couple of middle infielders that I really did want, right? Howie Kendrick was one of those guys. Swan Swanson, Swanson was one of those guys. Um, Key booms, a couple of guys that I would have been happy to take, but I wasn't sure if I needed that extra one or $2. So when I put those guys all up for bid and they went to two, I didn't go to three. Yep. You right. know, so, you know, Buyer's remorse, absolutely on both of those guys. I would have, I would have, looking back at it, I would have preferred to go to those guys for three 
and lose out on mats for two dollars or i mean you know i left two dollars on the table things i would have adjusted somewhere somehow right maybe i wouldn't have been yarbrough and, and mats at three and two i don't I know i think i always make that mistake up the middle i think <clears throat> i i tend to take it early and then that late round value i mean things shortstop was pretty deep this year and you know the same thing i felt like i picked seager for nine and maybe I could have, you know, backed that out and gone for a three or $4 Swanson or something to that effect. But, you know, but at I, the time that you got Seager for nine, I really liked that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you. Right. It's like, like, I really like that at that yeah. time. To go back to your core question. I mean, like pitch, I don't really punt. I tend to just feel like I stay away from stolen bases just by the guys that appeal to me. And there's one guy in our league, Mickey, so if he's listening to this and, and you and you keep it in the edit, you know, I mean, Mickey will go get all 300 steals that are available out yeah, there. And I Mickey, just, <laughs> Mickey doesn't and, understand the concept of you only need to win by one stolen base. That's it. And you're playing head to head. So <laughs> if you get everybody with the stolen bases, you know, Billy Hamilton and everything else that year, that's fine. You just, you're definitely going to lose homers, RBIs and on base percentage. So he okay. had a couple of, right. He had some stretches of years with consistent two to three home run weeks, you know, and it was just like, we, I used to just wonder, all right, so you got all the best <laughs> pitchers and all the speed guys, but you have no chance in competing in the other categories. And I think that's what, you know, I like to do at least just get myself a chance. Uh, it doesn't mean I have to win stolen bases. Yeah. I don't have to win every category. I think like you're saying, you know, just, just, just enough to get a couple of guys where maybe you could beat three or four or five teams in the league, right. but you know, maybe not beat the other guys, but you're going to beat them elsewhere, you know? Right. You know, and, and the, the funny part was, you know, if we're going to give Mickey his just due, right. I mean, like, and, and he's one of those guys in the top five in breakdown. So he's doing it right. Cause he, he does, right. He, he, overall he does, but he, he has had his moments in time and, and, you know, just like everybody, right. We'll give him crap for it, but he came into the league and, and, and I think his name of his team was stick time or stick something. And, and, his team was just so built on speed, 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 and the runs and the stolen bases because to his point, he was right. He's going to beat you with pitching and come and win stolen bases runs and, and he'll win the week. Yes. So, yep, so then I, week. I jokingly said in a trade that we were, we were on the phone making a trade and I said, I go, you really need to change your name to like small balls because you know, you're not, a st you're not stick time. You're not. And, and the next day he changed his name to Mickey small balls Mickey. and he, <laughs> And, you know, he took the punishment with it um, like a champ, but, uh, but he sticks with that, right? He comes in with his stolen bases and his runs guys and his pitching, and he's one of those guys that will clog up on those relievers and overspend on the relievers because he's, he wants to pound you into submission on the pitching categories. Pound you, right. And, and go from there, right? And, and it works. Don't get me wrong. It works. He's one of those guys that year in, year out, he's there and he's competing. And the yep. sad part for him is I think – Every year, three straight years in the playoffs, I think he owned the Max Serger seven-earned run uh, pitcher. And, yes. it, and it blew him up. Yes. You know? yes. And, it, mm -hmm. and, and that's where in a non-Roto league, in a Roto league, that Scherzer output doesn't really hurt you. But in a head-to-head, -head, you look at that Scherzer output and you say, you did it to me again. And, and right. I, think that, I think that happened to the Scherzer owner. And I think that's been Mickey a decent amount of times where 
you know, that one bad outing is, is enough to just knock you out, unfortunately. Do you think Mickey, without looking, do you think he leads our um, the history of our league and signing pitchers to three-year deals? <laughs> Yes. I mean, he he was the first. Um, who was it with Logan? Um, was it Logan Webb? No, Brandon Webb. Brandon Webb and Johan. Brandon Webb, Johan Santana, and he had one more. And he's going to tell us that it's our fault that we can't remember the other guy. Yeah, I have to go find it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, look, the the pure joy of the way we structure our and this is why I love, like you know when when you get in there and you start to get creative about our league, right? It's like you have the ability to sign a player for a one-year contract. And if you do, it's a $5 increase, right? Two-year contract. And if you do, it's $4 increase both year, but then that beautiful three-year contract that just goes up in price only $3 each year for three years. And you're like, I'm going to do that. Cause it's I'm going to so get enticing. my pound. It is so yeah. enticing. Yes. Right. I mean, and I've been, I've been bit by it. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, he had Santana and let's be honest, right? Everybody would have had Santana, but he gave Santana the three-year deal and then he goes out and pitches his no-hitter and then just wasn't the same pitcher anymore after that. Right. And he had yep. Brandon Webb, who was just on coming off his injury list. Um, and he had one other guy. I, Dan, I don't remember who it was, but he went into the draft one year with about $120 committed on three pitchers who were all on the DL. Well, yeah, yes. Yeah, and he tried no. to get out of the contract of, of Webb's at least. Rich Harden, that was his other guy. Found Rich Harden, him. and I was gonna say Johan w- Santana, fifty-four dollars. Webb, forty-three, and Harden, twenty. And, and wow. you know, if like you know, if Santana was going at the time for those mid forties, right, and and so it was it wasn't the worst thing in the world, but that three-year contract by year two and year three just wasn't paying out for him. It just wasn't wasn't worth it for him. Now he went into this one year. Listen, listen to who he protected in 2011 going into the draft. He kept Santana, Webb, Rich Harden, Verlander, Scherzer, Dan Harron, Hellickson, and Johnson, right? He protected Josh Johnson, eight pitchers and and Heath Bell for $10. He went into this draft with nine pitchers and $192. That is crazy. What's crazy wow. is what his lineup looked like. Kendrys Morales for nine, Eric Young for a dollar at second, Pennington at short for three, Freeze at third for a buck. I mean, like, you know, he paid the price, right? Yeah, and he definitely those, did those, pay the price. Those pitchers were hurting, and he just didn't have the, the, the hitting. And, and he'd done a great job in the last handful of years to really say, I can't, what's my point of going in there with seven, eight pitchers under control if that, that's, I can't even start all those starters. Right. Um, right. So, you know, you, you got to kind of, and, and again, if it was a daily league, maybe that works. If it's yeah. a roto in a daily league, maybe that works. But, um, you know, it didn't, it didn't work for him. No, no. And, and I remember it's what's great about being in these leagues and gathering all the tendencies of guys. It's like one year he th- um, a guy came out on bid and it was just like, you know, like we're saying, like, oh, that's not a you pick. And it just wasn't a Mickey bat. And we just looked at, we looked at him and be like, what are you trying to do? You know, train, change your strategy. And uh, he like, just like immediately backed out. He was like, yeah, maybe these guys are right. I'll just stick what I do best. But then he'll grab that, 
he'll try it like you just said nine dollar Kendrick Morales that I think I remember that it's just like his faint attempt at like getting some homers but at that point like you're not going to compete at all in homers <laughs> so you know, why and, and and the problem yeah exactly that's a valid point right if you know <laughs> if you know your lineup just doesn't have homers at all then why are you overspending on a guy just to try to get homers right you know right. but the not- problem too becomes everybody's reading more now, right? And everything is more available and everyone's reading the same article. So everyone goes in there with the same guy and, and you end up with this, you know, bid on, on some players that you just like, where is this going? You know, like right. where in the world are some of these bids going? You don't understand because it's just, it's the way two guys want to build their team. And that's all it takes is one guy who wants to build his team similar to you and is targeting that player similar to you that throws your mind all out of whack. And if you're not ready then you're going to, you're going to get hurt. And what I find I tend to do more is if there's two players left in a tier that I want, I'm going to go after the guy who got called first, not the last guy. Cause that last guy is going to go for five to $10 more because yeah. everyone knows he's the last guy in that tier. Yeah. So I'm going to go for that second to last guy. I'm going to make sure that I don't miss that guy. If I really wanted one of those two guys, you better go and get him because thinking you're going to get that last guy in a tier in an auction, it's just not going to happen. And that's definitely, that's a great strategy to uh, like to understand what's left and to jump that. Um, people might not be aware of that, and, but you would be. And, you know, like you just said, you, you just take advantage of that one, that one spot difference of taking that next to last guy left. And uh, yeah, that's a good, that, that's great. I love doing that. Good move. Yeah. That, that's what, that's what my color coordinated sheets and just ridiculous, you know, mindset of my Excel spreadsheets. Well, it's like you said, it's, it's knowing how to pivot and when to pivot. Um, nothing's going to go as you want to, you know, and if it does, then, you know, amen. You know, you didn't, you, you've, you've executed your drafts exactly how you wanted to, but it doesn't go right. that way. You know, right. things, things change and someone just values, you know, a, a player that much more. And, you know, I think that's, that's um, one thing I love that Ron Chandler said is, you know, a player's value is what the last guy bid on him. You know, <laughs> it's a great point. You're right. Yeah, because that's be- all it takes is two guys to really want a player. Hundred percent. And and you know, you have to understand that. And and I think in a keeper league, those guys tend to go way off course because there's the whole thing that you were talking about earlier with the value saved, right? And yep. if it's a complete redraft league. And you're going to have your guys go for what they're worth. And you're going to have your guys in the middle go for pretty much what they're worth. And you are going to get your surprises in the middle and at the end. Right. But otherwise, honestly, you know, I used to think waiting towards the end for some of those sleepers would work. And they did way back when, but now it doesn't work. If, if, if you're going to call out a name late, expect them to go for the money that people still have. No one's a sleeper anymore, right? No one's a sleeper anymore. And honestly, People go in and forget that they have money that they should have spent on other players because the inflation value was there. And then they end up wanting to spend that money. So you end up going for guys that should not be going for that cash. And I find more now that I'm okay going after those targeted guys that I want in the middle of the draft rather than waiting for the end. Because it's just, it's not going to happen anymore. At least in, in the leagues that we've played in, it's not going to happen anymore. 
and then and then what happens is some guys will think to all right well let's bring those end of draft guys into the middle right and then they go higher than normal and then at the end of the draft if that happens you know with a lot of guys then you'll get guys who slip further and you know maybe 10 15 dollar value guy going for you know five and six and at that point you don't have any money left but you know that's the beauty of the auction draft, right? There's so many, there's so many different things that happen. So over many the outcomes. Yeah, and if you're not prepared, like if you don't have anything to pivot to, you know, then you're toast. It's it's the worst feeling. Like I think I one draft I was just, you know, I don't know what happened, but it didn't feel like anything was working, and you know, that's the worst feeling to not know where to go next. <laughs> yeah, so 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 let's talk about that, right? Let and let's own it. I'll own it. So. You know, I joined the new keeper league this year. I took over a team, joined the league that you were in, right? And other folks that I know are in. And I came into there, but what I didn't realize was I wasn't going to have a pick for the first three rounds because the the guy that I had was made trades with others. You know, like, did he make trades that helped other teams because he knew he was out? I don't know. I went in there with really good keepers. Yeah. but, But to watch the first three rounds of the draft happen, and players that you know, I knew these guys were going to go off the board, and they went off the board. And I was on, I, we, you know, we were on our Zoom call and everything else, right, having a great old time. And, and my first couple of picks were fine. But by the time round eight and nine came around and I looked at my team and I realized I only had like four or five guys, I was miserable. Yeah. It's, and yeah. I didn't know where to pivot. And you were right. laughing on the phone, you know, being your normal self. <laughs> and, and I just – got to the point where I disconnected from the zoom call. Right. And I did like the rest of the draft without it because I was just not myself. Yeah. And and it was because I didn't know the tendencies of these guys. It was a snake draft. Right. So it wasn't auction. So I didn't have it in, I didn't have it in my power and my control because I had to watch the first 36 guys come off the board. Yeah. And I knew I had no, I had no pick until 40 something. And that was miserable to watch. Yeah. Miserable to be a part of. Yeah, especially, especially I think as it got closer, um, I think, you know, there must have been about five or six straight picks where it was, you know, probably every one of those guys, you were like, all right, come on, come on, you know, and they probably all went in a row because, yes. yeah, yeah, that's, that you was know, tough. That, and I'm not going to lie, I look back at that team and, and I'm like, okay, it didn't end up too bad, right? Um but at the same time, I know it could have been better. Now I look at that, and there, there is, there is my guys again. There's Nick Anderson. There's Will Smith. Or I got Pomeranz. Pomeranz is a guy that everybody looks at his numbers, and if you look at his numbers, you're like, ugh, that's horrible. But when he went over to San Diego and they let him be the guy before Yates, his numbers were hater-like. And, yeah. And, and people don't look at that. You know, you got to be mindful of how did a player finish the season. I really love looking at how do they do in August and September because I think that's really telling for if they're maturing, if they're changing, what's changing about them. Yep. Um, and yeah, so, so, you know, I took Pomeranz in that one and kind of got some comments for it. But again, you know, it's, you got to know how to pivot. And I don't think my team is terrible, but when I do compare it to other teams, you know, I'm like, oh, wow, they're much better. Oh yeah, that's right. That's because they had keepers and they had picks in the first and four rounds. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, I, and I remember drawing you in the league. I could have sworn it was just the first two rounds, but. But again, look, yeah. you know, I mean, like, I do like where my team is. I do think that I'll actually, we're, we're switching from head to head to Roto. 
to compensate for this short league. And I do think that I'll at least compete, you know, and then, I mean, it is what it is. I look, I'm not going to lie. Right? I walked in with the ability to keep trout and story and Bueller um, and, and Jordan, right. I had to let a guy like Alonso go. I had to let some of the other guys go. Um, but I can't complain. I did end up with very good keepers. Um, yeah. And, and I do like my team and look, it's baseball, right? So at the end of the day, I'm still going to enjoy trying to see if, if I made the right moves or not. I think that's the whole fun of it. Um, you know, trying, even, even when you just maybe going to try like a different strategy and you're like, all right, well, I'm going to use this league and I'm going to try this, you know? Um, I think it's good to learn like, you know, different ways to play the game. Um, so if you're stuck in one way to play, yeah, I don't think you're really going to grow. Yeah, I mean, and let's be honest, right? You had, what, four of the top eight picks in the draft were on your team. I'm like, that's yeah. fantastic. And, yeah. you had, and you had picks. And I had picks, yeah. That was, um, yeah, Betts, Arenado, Lindor, Yellick. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great way to start, you know? And Absolutely. I, I, the first year I came in, I uh, – the. The, the second the second day I had this team, I traded Arenado. I traded for him, and I gave up Harper. And uh, I traded for Arenado and Yellick, and I gave up Harper, Thor, and I forgot the third guy. And everyone was um, pretty much saying that I made the wrong move because I gave up Harper and Thor. And uh, I like the way it came out. This is, this is the league, you know, it's a 35-minute inning pitch minimum last year, but now we're going to Voto. So that's, uh, that's out, right? Yeah. That, well, I did ask him about that. I said, I don't think he can, I don't think now it's a daily change, right? But I still think 35 is tight because I just don't see these guys pitching the extended innings that they're going to do. You know what? I, I have this like whole thing. Like if you're only going to pitch 70 innings this year, 80, like, why can't they just go out there and pump it? And, I, and I agree. And I don't even – see, I think they will give it their all. I, I think here's what I'm expecting to see, right? Why can't a guy throw – start and give you four or five good innings? And if you're worried about him in the six, you know what? Take him out. I guarantee you his bullpen session in two days in the game will be a hell of a good inning, better inning than his sixth inning. So maybe he'll still get you six or seven innings in the week, but there's a way to break that up. Absolutely. The Rays have said they're going to go with a six-man rotation. Right. I mean, they're and absolutely going to go with a six-man rotation, and guys are going to just be pitching uh, on rest and whatnot and, and going in there. And I think more teams will probably end that way, right? You talked about the Dodgers. They got eight starters. So why couldn't Stripling go three innings and then you know a couple of days go two innings, another couple of days go two innings? He might give you seven great innings. I think, I think he could. <laughs> One of the biggest boosts this year right now is Stripling. I think. Yeah. And I can't no. believe the Angels declined that deal. I don't know what they were thinking. They were going to get Peterson too, right? Yeah, they were going to get Peterson too, and Artie Moreno. I think had a big ego trip. And, uh, exactly. Yeah, and that's it's going to cost the team because they will, you know, they're going to try to fill it with Pena and, and Juicy and. But that's what and that's what they did every year. That's what the Angels do every year is they they. Don't think about the right way to approach that pitching. My AL MVP bowl prediction is Shohei Otani. I think he's going to play way more than everyone thinks he's going to play. <laughs> and I think he's going to, like, I looked at his, his projections and he's 
I know you won't get batting and and pitching at the same time, but he's got the he's projected for the same amount of homers as Albies, one less deal than Albies, 10, 10, 10 less runs, but more RBI and the same average. And he's going to have 50 strikeouts projected <laughs> from a pitching perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I just, um, I just think he's going to be motivated to just put it all together and get out there and, uh, and do it. You know, I hope he gets the chance to do both a lot more often. And I wish that's something, you know, just, just the whole two way play in general in baseball and football. I wish they let these guys do that more often. Right. Yeah, why not? I mean, look, talent is talent, right? Yeah, I you, think that would be great go, if we go had way a... back, go way back in the days. Guys used to play offense, defense, defense, and football. I mean, it just you had that skill set. You, you yeah, played. Dion, Bo, and everyone forgets about Brian Jordan. You know, I'm just gonna talk about, uh, I guess, the, the trade I made pre-draft real quick and uh, how to set up my strategy for the year. Or the draft, at least. Yeah, nobody wanted to trade with me. I had nothing to offer anybody. <laughs> I didn't have anything. I yeah, hate it when I don't have players to make a trade. It's crazy because I made I made that, you know, two deals with the same guy that ended up netting me four guys for trading one. So. All right, yeah, talk about that one because I don't yeah. remember exactly the details, but I've got up our roster so I can at least chime in on how it impacted your team, his team, whatever. I traded away Otani for Buxton and Munchie. So I took on Buxton's contract and I got Munchie. Right. And then he really wanted Munchie back, but I had to take Otani. And he had a couple of pitchers that were kind of borderline. He wasn't going to keep. He had like a, a lot of keepers who were trying to trim down. Yes. And so I ended up getting Woodruff, Otani, and Boyd back. So basically I got Buxton, Boyd, Otani, and Woodruff for Munchie. And it helped me because last year, obviously, I traded Cattell Marte and um, forgot the other guy I traded with him to get the Grom and sometimes, you know, that's what happens, right? You, you, you may make a run and trade some cheaper guys to try to make that run. So I was pretty, I was pretty low on keeper options, but I did a one for four basically, you know, with trying to use uh Buxton's contract as a, uh, a way to draw in more talent around that. And I don't know, I think it just, it set up my pitching my pitching strategy where I was trying to find guys who uh, have those quality starts and give you innings for the head to head, just so I know I have innings pitched and guy giving me K's and it was either that or go for the Grom. And I don't know. I like the way I ended up with Boyd Woodruff joining uh, Gray Morton and, um, Montas and, and and Lance Lynn for 12 and 12 and uh so I don't know I don't know if I should have just went for Jake and not gotten those four pitchers <laughs> you know but you know the the other league that you two years ago when you won it with the Grom as your pitcher right it was where he, he was kept at a decent price Right, and you were able to kind of build around that. DeGrom yeah. went for 48 here, right? He was the only pitcher that went really high dollars. And the guys you just rattled off, 
keeping you kept morton woodruff boyd and gray at small dollars you picked up lynn those guys together were 48 dollars. so sometimes you look at it and you go i got a staff of five that all in combined is not a degrom but is it better than degrom and four guys that you're going to get at the end i think so you know like 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 you look at you look at degrom and he was added to a team where after the Grom, right, you got Tanaka, but then you got Alex Wood for two dollars, Annabelle Sanchez two dollars, Odorizzi two dollars, Jay Hap one dollar. So, you know, do I think the Grom is worth forty eight dollars? Yes. Would I have paid forty eight dollars for the Grom in that draft? No, because it would have blown up my strategy of what I could do. So, right. I, of course, you want those guys and you want to walk away with that guy, but you know. Your point is, and I tend to agree with you, I, I have a very hard time um, spending all my money on that one guy. Um, you know, I, I'll do it more in football, right? I did, uh, I think, a Julio Jones one year for 71 because I came in with Mike Thomas at only three, uh, $3 and someone else at $4 and I had the money, yes. right? And, and when it's that ridiculous, you say, you know what, I am going to go out and get the only guy. But football is different because the reality is football, you only got to really fill two positions. And then you pick a decent tight end. Everyone, every quarterback throws now. And so it's not much of a difference. But in baseball, you got to get 14 hitters and nine pitchers. And that's a lot of different positions you're looking to fill. And I think if you would have gone for DeGrom, you would have ended up with a pitching staff that you wouldn't have liked. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's what I was, you know, I was saying. I, I basically made those trades in anticipation of knowing that it was either I wanted Jake or I wanted to go this route. And once I yeah. knew I wanted to go this route, I made those trades because I saw he maybe even wasn't going to keep those guys, you know. Like, I think Woodruff was on the fence. And I remember I tried to get Freed also because I told him, I said, if I take Otani and Buxton, I want Freed too. But he didn't want to give me the five guys. Yeah, I think also <laughs> Freed is a brave, right? Yeah. And that was, uh, yeah, yeah you were the, never going to get a brave off of Kinesi. That's the, yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's another thing, right? Like knowing who, who likes what teams because exactly. you get that big, uh, that big influence on the dollar values of those guys. Yeah. All right. So. I guess I'll close that up and talking about our league today. Okay, so we're going to do a draft for home run totals this year. A little prospect in here for power for guys who last year had more than 300 at-bats and equal to or less than 15 home runs. And we cannot pick rookies, so only guys who had some at-bats last year. And we're going to do four rounds. You're going to go first. And I'll come in with a snake behind that. So who you got first? Give me Vlad. I'll take Vladdy and hope that he stops hitting ground balls. It's just crazy looking at this list and seeing that he's on it, right? I mean, that's it's, what very, it's very disappointing because I had him in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind, it's uh, kind of like, oh, that's what happened to my team. Got it. <clears throat> okay, so I'm going to go – with Robinson Cano as my first pick. Wow, look at you. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I saw him down there. <laughs> I think he's going to rake with Cespedes behind him this year. And um, second, with the wraparound pick, let me take um, let me take David Dahl. I'm going to take a risk that he's not going to get sick with his immune 
Uh, let me take that pick back if he uh, if he says he's not playing. All right, I will go with Ryan O'Hearn, Kansas City. I like him. I think uh, he'll get some uh, playing time there and get a chance to hit. And the other guy who I think is going to get some at-bats, enough, consistent, we're going to go back to my Benintendi. Ooh, good one. Good one. Yeah, he definitely. 24. You know, come on, man. Just go back to your natural stroke and you'll get it. Yeah, absolutely. He actually, he actually had um, six opposite field homers last year. It's only having three his whole career. I saw that somewhere. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, let me go. I'm gonna take Yandy Diaz. And and with your last pick, <laughs> you know what? I'll go Joey Votto because I see his name staring at me. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right, who you got last? Ah, uh, it is between Alex Verdugo and Oscar Mercado, and I love Verdugo, but I just don't know what they're gonna do with him. So I'm gonna go Mercado. Good shot. You you got some guys that definitely gonna rack up the at bat. So. And, and, and listen, I got Guerrero in two leagues, Benny in two leagues, Mercado in one. So. <laughs> If I do well here, then hopefully that means I did well by picking them in in regular leagues. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was interesting. I think yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to look at you know like these little type of uh, digs to maybe you know try to uh, prospect on a category a little better. You know, so the next time we do it, maybe we'll do stolen bases. <laughs> oh God, yeah. All right. Well, that was fun. And. That was um, fun. Yeah, cool. Thanks for uh, taking the time out to come out with me today. Uh, awesome hanging out, talking baseball with my, one of my brothers, man. Exactly. I'll do, I'll do that anytime. Exactly. And there's no cameras in my face, and yeah, you recorded it, and you'll do some nice editing. So <laughs> Next time we'll get Frankie and Joe on here, and That's um, it. we'll play some. I have, I have some, some questions lined up for some baseball jeopardy. And uh, I'll give you guys some categories ahead of time to study for. Nice. <laughs> Besides that, you'll have to, on a rainy day, we'll have to do a podcast where we're playing uh, Stratomatic. So, you know what? I, I, definitely, <laughs> I definitely wanted to do this. I wanted to, like, just uh, like a live broadcast playing. <laughs> I was thinking about doing this the other I think I might try it. You know, I just play and just call the game. Joey like, definitely has to have the cards from the early 80s that we always played with. Yeah, absolutely. If, if, if you want to talk stolen bases, then just give me the Cardinals. Yeah, the Cardinals were that team. Her, McGee, Coleman, Ozzy, right? Insane. Every every base hit or a double, anything that didn't have the star next to it, I was rolling. I was sending guys everywhere because those guys had crazy running potential on, on the bases. It's so funny because recently, <laughs> like playing playing with the recent cards, there's a lot more you know speed there. But um, I remember always you know always stealing, and now with the fact that I think everyone should just swing away. And obviously, you know, I just uh, I just saw like a stat too. They showed like um, for bunts, I think they showed over 50, over sixty percent of bunts are done by pitchers. So I mean, if if the DH is wow. out, then bunting is going to be completely gone. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to the DH being out. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, the DH being in the National League. Uh, yeah. 
I love the whole uh yeah, but Mad Bum rakes, but yeah, he also hits only one <laughs> he only hits only one eighty, so I mean that's not raking. Listen, that, and that's not saying that he's not a, a pinch hitter option late in the game for the for the coach, right? Because he might look at his bench and go, yeah, go Madison, just go grab a Batman because I like your potential here more. I know. I know. Absolutely. And I think, you know what, for the union side, it's, it was 15 more jobs too, you know? Well, if you want to look at it that way, you know, but guys, guys are going to be getting – getting more playing time would be opportunities for some guys who can't field on that, you know, in that league to just step in or guys to just rotate more. I think, you know, teams like the Dodgers are going to do it right. And Pollock will get in there and Enrique Hernandez. And, you know, I think they, um, they said only eight guys accumulated more than 400 at bath last year at DH. So even the teams in the AL don't really have one guy, you know, Got doing it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right, yeah. man. I enjoyed this. Yeah. I enjoyed this too. All right. And, cool. All right. Let me know whenever you want to do anything. I'm down, man. It's cool. 100%.